Okay, as in go. Sorry, one second. Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the food and beverage world. Oh, awesome. Fork Tales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at vigorbranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give Fork Tales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Hey everyone, today I am joined by Tom DeFour of Big Sky Franchise Team. Uh, you may know some of the brands that they work with, Blimpy, Rosati's Pizza, and uh, the latest and greatest is The Slutty Vegan, who I absolutely adore. Um, and I'm really excited to speak to him today. Tom, why don't you give a quick hello and a little backstory? Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. So uh, honored and grateful to be here. I've been helping companies franchise their business now for over 17 years, which is pretty crazy. So I've been in the business of working predominantly with the small to mid-sized company, kind of that mom and pop business owner that is now past mom and pop and says, hey, maybe we have something here. We're ready to take it to that next level. So I've been working with folks in that category and helping them package their business for sale and take it to the next level uh, as a franchise system. Good. I, I can't believe it. 17 years when I say that out loud, it seems crazy uh, that it's been that long and uh, had an opportunity to venture out of the world of consulting, was hired away by a client for a couple of years and mm. then back into consulting and um, started Big Sky Franchise Team here uh, about five years ago now it's been. it's uh, And here operating in the greater Atlanta metro, servicing the, the uh, most mostly the United States. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. So um, how did you get started in the franchise game? Like, What drew you in and, and why do you love this? Yeah, great question. So I ended up in the franchise business, uh, the, I guess the best way to call it is just by chance. I would describe it probably like a lot of folks who end up in franchising as I've spoken to people over the years. And I, I really was my first job right out of college. So I went to a small uh liberal arts school, uh, Elmhurst University out of the Chicago area and uh, graduated with a management business management degree, knew that I wanted to get into management consulting. And my first opportunity I had just happened to be in this franchising business and fell in love with it. It really resonated with me. Uh, I've always had this win-win mentality my whole life and franchising when it's done well it's all the whole idea is predicated on this win-win mindset. It's winning for franchisees, winning for the customers, for the franchisors, the vendors, all the intricate components that are involved. And I fell in love with that and helping other people accomplish their dreams through franchise ownership, helping the franchisor grow their business or that entrepreneur that is turning into a franchisor. And for me, I, I've just I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. My father owned a, just a little used uh, car lot, actually, a mm -hmm. little dirt gravel car lot that sold, you know, <laughs> inexpensive buy here, pay here cars. And I saw him kind of live his dream. I thought, wow, this is amazing to watch entrepreneurs grow. So for me, I, I love that. Uh, I, I feel like as an American, I have a duty uh, to help as many people become an entrepreneur uh, that have a dream or a vision of becoming that. 
That's awesome. Um, so there's a lot of places to cover here. I have some yeah. questions that I have listed, but I think one of the things that I, when we were co- consulting with our clients, um, you know, in, in the restaurant industry, when we're talking about franchising is ensuring that you're truly ready as a business owner. Um, and I'm sure I'm parroting something that you say as well as some other franchise leaders out there, but you know, the, the franchise industry is not the restaurant industry. It is a different business model. And I think, although some concepts may have a very successful, uh, business model, you know, a good PL is strong. Uh, but a lot of times they're, they're not really ready to be franchisors. How do you coach up uh, let's just say the mom and pop shop who's who's looking to take that next step. How do you get them prepared for dealing with franchisees? I hate to use the word dealing, but you know the the interactions and relationship with franchisees. Yes, that that's a great question. That's one that comes up often. And how do you address it? And to to a certain extent, I describe it kind of like having kids. No one's ever really ready to have kids. No one's really ready to franchise our business. Really, if you think about it, it's like, how do you know until you're there? However, there are things that you can that you can do, that you can have in place that make the process uh, easier and also allows you to be more successful as you start to grow. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed for most franchise, small businesses that are thinking about franchising, you have to have a mindset that's prepared to convert into what you described as that franchise or mindset. It, it really is in the head of the owner or the owners if there are partners involved. And that's a big shift. You're going from in the restaurant business, you said it perfectly. You're not in the restaurant business anymore. You are in the franchising business, which means you're selling franchises, you're supporting, you're coaching. It's a different kind of of a relationship. And so the mindset that the franchise or the small business owner has coming in, being, being willing to learn, being willing to, uh, being willing to do the extras, to make it happen. Oftentimes we'll work with successful business owners that they don't really want to work as hard as they did when they started their business anymore. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. You have worked hard to earn that, that flexibility and that choice. And if that's the life you want to lead, have it, go for it, make it happen. But when you're getting into franchising, you've got to get back into that startup mentality because you're in a startup business again. So you've got to get back into that startup mindset that you have to work hard. You have to grind it out for a few years again. And the, the rewards will come. It just takes time to get there. It's a very rewarding business, like most businesses, if you're willing to put in the time and effort to get to that point. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, one of the places that I see uh, them, you know, where, where it goes wrong is in that support, as well as not um, understanding how important policing the brand and and the operations and the processes really becomes. I think you know uh, some of the most egregious examples of franchisees going rogue is the introduction of a completely different supplier that changed the flavor of the food. Or, um, I remember when I was 18, I worked for a franchised concept uh, for the franchisee and it was a bagel shop 
and they added in uh, muffins through the franchise as well. Uh, really great bagels. And, and then one day we had hot dogs. Uh, we had a hot dog mm. roller and I'm like, <laughs> why do we have a hot dog roller? And the guy's like, Hey, why not make some extra money? If we can, if people want a hot dog, we have hot dogs. And I'm like, wow, this, uh, back then I didn't quite understand the relationship of franchise or franchisee. But now looking back, I laugh. Cause I'm like, what a nightmare that must've been to have to unpack for the franchisor. Um, so there's all these challenges, uh, especially in the food game, uh, of policing the people. Uh, how do you prepare, uh, prepare clients to be ready to uh, be that um, disciplinarian, maybe, is a good word for it, that uh, slapping the wrist without harming the relationship? Yeah, it, that's a great point. Yeah, we talk a lot about the when to use the velvet glove and when to use the iron fist. You know, mm. when when is the right time to use one of those. And, you know, it, it is a little bit of an art as you're going through it. And franchising is a very simple game when it all breaks down. I think most businesses tend to be when you look at them in very simple forms. It's hard to execute uh, and it's hard to do well, but you, you have to you have three jobs when you franchise your business. Number one is you have to sell franchises. OK. And then number two is you have to train them. And number three is support them. Sell, train, support, which is what you're talking about, this support aspect. And I always like to point out that two of those three are orienting around training it and supporting it post the sale. And so franchise companies that don't do well tend to typically fail at one or more than one of those three. Uh, they either don't sell any franchises or don't have an effort on it. They don't train well or they don't support well. And usually I found that the founder of the company tends to do well in either selling or in supporting. They're more sales and marketing oriented or more operations oriented. So technically they're very skilled at training and support. And so when when as a an owner going into the business, recognizing which one of those you tend to fall into, and then adding support staff and team around you to help follow through on those areas where you're maybe not as strong or just don't have an interest in doing is very helpful. Oftentimes you already, especially in the restaurant business, there's probably a manager, an assistant manager, a GM, someone that's part of the team that complements the owner well, that can rise through this. And it gives that person a career opportunity as well um, and, grow, and going through it. Um, now, to get back and answer the question you originally asked about <laughs> support and helping these folks out, I have found that if if you can have consistent support with the franchisees, that really makes a difference. And when I say consistent, meaning early on, it might be a phone call once a week for 30 minutes. Even something that small makes a big difference. Uh, it's unfortunate that in franchising, not every franchisor will be having that initial phone call or follow up. And especially if it's out of market, if it's a, a franchisee that's in market, you can go to their location. That's great. But if it's out of market, it becomes costly and difficult to get there. But one of my favorite things about the pandemic, and I know we'll talk a little bit about this, is the uh, the acceleration and comfort, the acceleration of using technology and using video to get people comfortable with it, especially in a fixed location type of business, food service, retail, hotel, motel, uh, clients of ours, where sometimes the, I've just noticed as a, a typical trend, tend to be a little more resistant to using or incorporating 
uh, uh, virtual technology into the business model. And it can be really effective tool that's cost effective. It doesn't cost a lot and allows you to be there because really franchising is like having a virtual office. That's kind of what it is. And if you were to open a virtual office, if you're in, uh, let's say, Miami and you open a location in Dallas or Chicago or somewhere, well, uh, how you're not going to probably be flying back and forth all the time. Well, what would you do to support them? And using video and technology are a great way to do it. Or simple things like having a, um, we've had clients even in the past that, um, and we'll, we'll dive into this a little bit more, but that where they will bring in a uh, mystery shopper and mm-hmm. they'll do a mystery shopping report. And it's not to say, I gotcha. So that's the key thing for franchising. It's never looking to say, I gotcha. If you're going in with an I gotcha mindset, that's wrong. It's to say, what, where, where, where are you falling short? The mystery shopper comes in, you get a report, and you review the report together. And you say, well, look, here's what they said. They said, you know, you scored low in these areas. Let's talk about what's happening. Was uh, Johnny or Janie, you know, working Mm -hmm. this shift? And you know that's a weak employee that needs to maybe go or that whatever you're finding out, whatever you're using. And it's it's to use it to build up, not tear down. I think that's the key Mm. thing. This is a building up, not tearing down. So understand that the franchisees, for the most part, especially in the food business, they're investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in many cases. They don't mm-hmm. want to see this investment go to waste. They don't want their money to get burned up. They want this to work. So recognize that most of the folks do want to work, work want it to work well, and that uh, you just have to figure out for that individual what it works. So consistency and having a building up mentality that these people are not trying to take advantage of you. Uh, all too often in the restaurant business, you've unfortunately, I'm, I, I've worked with many, many restaurant clients where they've all have horror stories of employees taking advantage <laughs> of them, uh, vendors, suppliers, people stealing, customers. So it, it's hard to block those bad experiences out. Uh, you know, it's very yeah. warranted. Uh, so yeah. anyway. Especially when the you know the flaming yawns are are jumping out the back door and you can't figure out why and um, there's always horror stories but I think you know you touched on people a little bit which is a hot button topic in the industry finding great talent uh, and, and keeping great talent um, probably uh, for a different time but it does bake into the next question I have which uh, you, you touched on the p word and. Well, folks, we're going to talk about it, the pandemic. Um, so uh, from your perspective in the seat that you hold at the table, um, what's been some of the biggest challenges for franchising during the pandemic and, and as we come out of it? What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so what, I, what I've seen in talking with our restaurant clients is that the franchisees that were doing extremely well, their top performers, uh, most of them were hit uh, financially, like most restaurants were. However, those top performers figured out a way to implement suggestions from corporate or to tap into their local market, their local customers, their local base. They they sorted out a uh, delivery or takeout type of program to help them get through what was going on. And what I found for those that didn't figure that out. They just decided to just temporarily close that in some cases have has turned into a permanent 
close or a, a lack of a, a willingness to try. And I, you know, I can't say that that whether they were a franchisee or an independent, that there's probably a whole lot of difference there, other than the fact that most franchisors did do something to help franchisees out, where they said, hey, here's mm-hmm. a program, here's a system, here's a something to help get through this. You know, we're figure, we're we're learning too. Uh, you know, yep. we're trying yep. to figure it out too. But here's something. Here's some, if you don't have something, here it is. Um, and I, I interviewed a client out um, there. They are they're a breakfast um, breakfast and lunch full hmm. service restaurant. And I interviewed them actually on on um, on our podcast a, a few months ago. And they talked about the one thing that saved them through the whole thing. The one thing that saved them was an email list and having mm-hmm. that customer email list in place. And they said if they had not been doing that for the several years beforehand where they had developed a a whole, I mean, they've kind of got this cultural following. I mean, they have tens of thousands of subscribers to their mm-hmm. email list and enthusiasts. I mean, it's really phenomenal for them. And so anyway, because of that, they were able to do outreach to their customers. And some of the things they did, literally, they they had people waiting in lines for hours to get food. They sold out of things because they just... People wanted to help them. They had built up so much uh, good uh, rapport with the community, and that mm-hmm. email list is what saved them. So that's one of the big takeaways that I would say for anyone in really any business, but especially food service, retail, anything where you're you're a fixed location, that email list is just as vital to your business as anyone else's. Yeah, I mean, for those who are, are not marketing savvy. Um, the e- emails are what we would call an owned channel. Um, and when we, when we talk with clients and when we encounter clients out there, there's always this push to how do we get new traffic? How do we get new trials? How do we get people in the door? Um, and one of the things that we look at is their, their current suite of owned channels and their followership. You know, how, how many people do you have on there? And this is when a lot of places get caught uh, with their pants down, um, meaning, oh, we have a thousand or, or 2000 or 3000 people on our Instagram followers or flower followers. And we have maybe 12,000 in, in our email list, but we don't really do anything and blah, 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 blah. And there's no effort to really push that and build that uh, because it doesn't have that bottom line direct ROI that, that everyone wants to see, but it is a means to an end. And that, that stuff drives me crazy because in this situation, had they not had that email list, like you said, they probably wouldn't have done as good as they, you know, did or fared as well as they did. And, but when it, when it comes, when, when we get hit with a global pandemic or some other act of God or some other unpredictable, um, negative, it's too late. You can't just snap your fingers and build an email list. It takes months, it takes years, uh, and it's ongoing. And, and I think, uh, it's really important for brands to take email seriously. It seems like such an old hat media channel, but it's not, it's still highly, highly effective. Um, I wrote a whole book on email marketing and I think there's irony in writing a book about technology because it's immediately out of date the minute you publish, but it's called stop blasting my mama. And the reason why I called it that is because I actually hate the word blast or e blast or blast an email, you know, cause uh, there's a, a human on the other side of that. I don't think we should be blasting people. Um, and that blast mentality is an ugly one because it, 
implies that it's just a, a quick hit and you're out. Um, so I, I love that you, you have a client that embraced email, used it well, used it successfully. Um, and you mentioned that they were full service. So this kind of leads into the other question that I have, which is, what is your perspective on full service? Do you think that this is going to continue to be a viable service model? Or do you think the pandemic was basically the full ushering in of fast casual or that hybrid limited service model? That's a great question. And for me, I'm one that I, I just don't, in my opinion and experience, I just don't ever foresee full service not existing. Mm-hmm. I just think there will always be a place for full service because as consumers in today's world, uh, there's a there's a book I read years ago called The Experience Economy. And I, I love this book. It's It talks about how consumers are really in today's world looking for an experience when they go out. There's an assumption that there's a certain standard of quality that will exist when you go out, whatever you're purchasing or or buying. A certain standard of quality that's it's, there's an expectation in the consumer today. A certain standard of service. So how are you differentiating? Well, it's the experience, and and to me, full service gives you that prime opportunity to really differentiate. And so while fast food, you know, you have this increasing. Uh, minimum wage that that's going on that, you know, whether you like it or not, or disagree or not, or whatever your position is on it, it, the trend is looking like it's going to continue to increase. And that's Mm -hmm. going to affect uh, fast, fast, uh, fast food, fast, casual QSR, like that's going to make things are already going there. I I interviewed, uh, I have a client, I have a client that's a was, uh, he's a former, president of, um, uh, of, of a very large, uh, food service, a billion dollar food service enterprise. And mm-hmm. he's opened hundreds of restaurants of different brands. And he just thinks that the pandemic's accelerated this use of automation and technology. And then you have, so you have technology coming and now you have increased price. Now all of a sudden that new machine that can do it all doesn't look that out of reach for expense investment return kind of a thing. So as you see fast food and some of these other industries reducing staff, I think that full service is prime position to really stand out. And and I, I think even about uh, a, a franchised brand in the fast food business that has stood out with its service as a, a brand you probably talk about at nauseum like a Chick-fil-A, uh, but they've done a great job with the same talent pool that every other restaurant is pulling from. And they figured out a way culturally and a lot of variables there. And so I think full service can do the same thing, only better, only better. I think full service just has this awesome opportunity uh, to, to do that. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, I think the places that are weak in their service will fall out um, because the cost of that is going to go up. So an example is uh, my wife and I ate at a restaurant down the street from where we're staying here in New Orleans um, last week. And it's, it's a finer dining place. No, I wouldn't say it's like white glove. It's not, you know, that fine dining, but we, you know, we knew we were getting into a couple hundred dollar meal uh, with a bottle of wine, of course. And the uh, server was very familiar with me. Like, Talk to me like a friend would talk to me. 
And while that may be nice in some instances, uh, maybe at a breakfast concept or uh, something a little more low key, I found I found it very off-putting, uh, coupled with food that was improperly seasoned and uh, so on and so forth. I feel like it was a middle of the road experience and one that I can't say was worth the money. And so I think there, you know, maybe you, you would agree with me that not just good service, because that's just not a good enough statement, but a service that is in line with the type of experience you're trying to deliver. I think people will are going to be hyper-focused and their attention to the type and quality of service will be exasper- exacerbated because it's going to come at, at that cost. And like you said, with the automation and, and robotics, the uh, human element will be a, a little more unique. Uh, therefore, it must be remarkable. Um, you know, from your position, you're, you know, you're, you're selling franchises, you're, you're interacting with the the folks from that level, but do you ever touch on how that brand experience is developed and fostered with franchisees? Sure. Sure. Uh, We are not as involved on daily operations and how to kind of fix their system. We're taking what they have and replicating it. However, what I like to reflect back, especially, I, I love the food business. I love this, the whole restaurant industry. I just, I love this space. It's so wonderful. And I, I reflect back on creating that experience. I say, well, how do you want your, when your customer leaves, how do you want them to feel? When they walk out the door, how do you want them to feel? And whatever that feeling is, that emotion, that feeling, that connection Work backwards from there. Well, how do you get there then? What has to, what needs to happen for that customer to walk out the door so they don't say what you did, which was, well, you know, the server was a little too familiar with me and the food was okay. But had one of those things been tweaked just a little bit, you might have been walking out and talking on your show here and saying, well, you know, I had a great experience and maybe inviting the owner on as a guest. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. Right. So, um, Anyway, I'd like to, you know, kind of begin with the end in mind, right? Where do you want that customer to be that what do you want them to feel and then work backwards? How do you get there? How do you create that then in each touch point with that customer from the second they step into your parking lot until they get back into their car or back into their uh, Uber or whatever they're taking and go home? I love that because, you know, so I think that the issue happens is when you have a, a veteran server, you know, um, they know how to do it. Right. But I've been doing this for decades. I know how to treat people, but you don't know how to treat people in the way that this brand and this experience, you know, is trying to deliver. And so by, I think illustrating, I want people to leave my restaurant feeling, uh, doted upon, catered, respected, and, um, in a way that makes them feel like they are, uh, important high rollers, you know, maybe that would be the, you know, for this particular instance, because if I think of that through the lens of the server of the wait staff, um, it's very easy to see how that type of interaction is completely off and not what we want to deliver. So I love that working backward. And I think it's easier for people to imagine how do I ensure that Tom, when he leaves my restaurant feels this way and it, it allows them to activate it in their head. That's brilliant. Um, Absolutely. So a final question, and then we'll we'll wrap this baby up. Um, What elements do 
Potential franchisors, folks who are considering the franchise industry for their concept, what do they need to have in place in order to succeed in today's reality and tomorrow's reality? Yeah, great, great question. For me, we if we boil this down to three simple things that we like to look for when we're at, at this point in my career, I've spoken to tens of thousands of companies that have had an interest in franchising. Very few of them actually franchise. The Very few actually do it. But at the core, what, what we've boiled this down to is, number one, we want to make sure that you have a profitable business, right? Just economically, <laughs> does it work, right? I mean, it seems crazy, but do you have a profitable business? And I know I've worked with enough restaurant folks where they'll say, well, you know, my tax return said I barely made any money last year. And I said, well, I don't really care what your tax return says. It's really the owner benefit. As an mm-hmm. owner, what are you taking out of the business? Maybe you run a car through it or you, you've you hired. I've had clients where, you know, they hire their uh, family members or other people who, you know, that's an owner benefit. That That's mm-hmm. just part of the benefit of owning. So we take all of that into consideration and can it provide an opportunity for someone to earn a living running the business? Um, number two is we like to make sure that there's at least at, at least a, a, a national customer base for your product or your service, whatever you're offering there for your restaurant, it, that it's not niche. And if it is niche, that at least regionally there, there might be enough to open up. Because if you're going to franchise – you want to come in with a mindset. You're probably thinking you're going to sell more than five or 10 if you're going to franchise long term. Mm-hmm. Maybe initially it's five or 10 you start with, but long term, you probably want to do more than that. And then number three, can you train someone how to do what you do in a reasonable time period? And reasonable time period for most clients is anywhere from a week to maybe a month, maybe eight weeks on a, on a long side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically, can you teach someone how to run the business? And I love restaurants because very often you're great at training uh, your technical staff for your, because it, you know, you have part-time employees that turnover just happens just because you, you sure. oftentimes have a lot of part-timers um, for one reason or another. And then uh, think about uh, another good example would be thinking about training a new general manager to run your restaurant and then you just only checking in every once a week or two to make sure things are looking okay. So if you feel like you're in a spot where you can do those things, uh, franchising could be a fit. It doesn't necessarily mean that you should, but it at least means that the business is is probably at a point that it that it could go. That's great. So um, you mentioned profitability. Is there is there a number in mind that you would just or or a range like, hey guys, if you. Yeah. If you're not showing this, then it's probably not time. Yeah, uh, great. So we break it down by, we look at it as a return on investment for the franchisee. So you can run your numbers through this lens. So think about about how much it would cost for you to open up a restaurant. And so let's just pick an easy number. We'll just say $300,000 for an all-in investment. And the franchisee has to come in with $100,000 in cash, and they're going to get a loan for two hundred. dollars Probably mm-hmm. not an atypical type scenario. Um, and so we like to see a return on their cash as, as a return on their cash investment. So a return on, of, on that $100,000. So we look for a 20% return on that cash and if they're an owner operator, 
that they're able to earn a manager's salary. So the return on investment, I should clarify, comes in your third year of operation. We assume it takes about two years to hit that break even. Year three, you should start seeing that 20% return on cash every year, plus make a manager's salary if you're an owner operator. And of course, that manager's salary will fluctuate depending on where you're located and so on. But for most most restaurants and most you're probably going to be somewhere with those numbers between fifty thousand and one hundred fifty thousand dollars that a franchisee could make running your business, depending on a lot of variables that go into it. But those are some of the financial benchmarks that we like to look at. I love that. I think that's really helpful because uh, we we speak to a lot of concepts uh, that are starting up, um, and they they have franchise as the goal, right? Get this to a place where we have a, a, a very successful model that we can package and then franchise. Uh, sometimes I try to talk them out of it. Sorry, Tom. Uh, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, other times I'm mostly with the lens of, yeah, 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 that's nice. But first <laughs> let's get this thing together and operating and it's good to know what's on the horizon, but we got to get across this, this river right now. Um, and then, you know, they usually ask, well, you know, what does that look like? What, what do we need to hit? And oftentimes I'm like, I don't know, man, profitability is really just the P word that we need to focus on. And it's good to have those numbers to pass through. Um, and this has been a wealth of knowledge in general, Tom. And, and I think it's, I knew that it would be because I follow you on social channels and uh, you're always putting out some great content and information. Uh, where can folks connect with you? Oh, well, thank you. The The best place if they're looking for anything on us is our website, which is BigSkyFranchiseTeam.com. I know that's a long one, BigSkyFranchiseTeam.com. And then you, if you're into any social, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Just search for Big Sky Franchise. We come up on any of those. And uh, we do offer to anyone who's interested in learning more, we do offer a free consultation, no cost, no obligation. So for any of your listeners that say, maybe I've thought about it, but I don't really know where to start. We'll schedule a 15, 30 minute call, talk through your business and kind of give you a rough assessment on how that might fit for you. Awesome. Yeah, we'll have all those links in, on the on the webpage at forktails.co. Um, and I encourage you to follow Tom, connect with him on LinkedIn, and um, be on the lookout for other great content that he puts out there. There's also a podcast, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, that's right. It's called Multiply Your Success. Multiply Your Success podcast. And you feel free, follow us, take a look at us there, um, bringing inspiring stories from oftentimes folks who started with one or two of something and now have grown it to 30 or 50 or however many they have at the time. I love it. And definitely check that out, folks. Uh, Tom, you've been wonderful. This has been fantastic. Thank you for uh, taking the time out. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. If you love what we served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. Fork Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post-productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021, Vigor Graphic Design, LLC. All rights reserved.